Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Amen. Hey, today we're spending a little more time talking about what will be a part of our church uh, now and going forward. Um, uh, that is our community groups that we're going to formally launch in October, uh, specifically how they fit in the life of our church as a whole. Uh, um, these are some things that are already happening that you just don't know they're happening, and some things that will be new, and uh, we'll make sure you know about them in uh, a really clear way. You can see up there, life is better together, and we believe that with all of our hearts. Man, God did not make you to do life alone. Uh, if you felt lonely, God did not make you to do life by yourself, and that's why we do what we do here, and that's why we're going to launch these groups. Um, we talk about this all the time. Two weeks ago, we talked about how uh, who we are as a church, how people, when they come into this church, what they feel is community, and that's why we're going to call these community groups. Life is better together. Um, even if you do not end up being a part of one of these groups, this message today is for you. It's not, it's not all about an, it's not an advertisement for what we're going to do. It's the, why God created us to do life this way. We talked two weeks ago at the end about this awesome scripture. You may have heard Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Our title this morning, the title of the message is Roots. Roots as in the part or of a tree or a plant that is underground. Interesting thing about the roots of a tree or a plant or a weed or whatever thing, uh, I like to think of the, the more positive ones, not weeds, right? Uh, interesting thing about roots is they're the most important part of the plant, but they're not the part you see. Right? When you see a plant or a tree, you see the giant thing above the ground. You don't see what's below it. But the thing that's above the ground does not exist without what's going on below the ground. At our house in Cuna, we had this massive uh, willow tree. Um, I used to have a picture of it with our dogs underneath it, and I couldn't find it. But uh, we had this, I mean, when I say it was a massive willow tree, it was a massive willow tree. Like if you go drive down Linder, um, uh, as you get towards Deer Flat and you see the house with the giant willow tree, that's our house. It's still there and it's still giant and it goes over the fence. It's massive. And the interesting thing about the tree, the willow tree, is that everything was better under that tree. Now, I will say, if there was a lot of branches in the spring and in the fall and kind of everywhere in between, actually. If a lot of branches fell off that tree. But everything was better under the tree. You know, the grass, the rest of the yard, the grass was the most healthy underneath the tree. The, uh, it had the best shade. Underneath the tree was where our two dogs uh, always were. Uh, it's where the boys, when they got old enough to play outside, uh, it's where the boys always wanted to hang out. Luke particularly liked to, uh, the, I mean, the branches were so strong, he would, we, it was like this uh, wall thing, and he would like, I wouldn't let him do it because I was afraid a branch was going to break, but when I wasn't watching, he would, and he would grab one of these branches, and he'd swing like Tarzan off of the, off of the wall. It kept the house cool in the heat of the day even, right? I mean, it's like 105 degrees, and in the morning, the house is nice and cool with the AC not even coming on. The tree is so large, so massive that everything is better under the tree. But you know what it also had was these really massive and long roots. Whenever I was digging in other parts of the yard, even up by the house, across the yard, it was a big yard, I was always running into roots from that tree. I had to cut a few that were running into the patio that were starting to raise the edges up. The reason for the majestic tree, the reason we had the tree where everything was better was, wasn't because of the part you saw. The reason it existed was because of what was underneath the ground. Just some really interesting facts about roots, not just of willow trees, but of any type of plant. They have three main jobs, okay? One of them is they anchor the plant or the tree. 
Otherwise, any storm that comes will uproot them. They're an anchor for whatever is above the ground. They also absorb water, right? We know trees and plants. If you went to high school science, trees and plants don't live long without water. The other thing they do is they store food for winter months. Otherwise, they only last for the summer and they don't come back the next season. They absorb water so the tree can live and they store food for the long winter. 80% of all problems with a plant or a tree, uh, it starts in the root system. One of the most important things for healthy roots is healthy soil. Without healthy soil, the roots are weak and shallow. The plant may look good at first, but without healthy soil, the roots are weak and shallow. I would love to submit to you today, friends, that our lives as Christians, even just on this earth, uh, they have a lot in common with trees and plants. I believe that our relationships we have with other people are our root systems. Not only do I believe this, uh, the reason I believe it is because I've seen it over and over again with my two eyes, my own two eyes, my whole life. Especially in church. In church, out of church, everything in between. But especially in church. I think a statement I have on the screen there is uh, that we become more like those we are in close relationship with. You become more like the people you hang out with. You might want to think it's not true, but sorry, it is. Yeah. There's a well-known saying, and I believe it's true, even though I will not claim it as my own. I don't know who said it originally, but it says, show me who your friends are, and I will show you where you will be in five years. Now, the purpose behind the groups that we're going to have, our community groups, the ones we're already doing, is so that everyone who walks into this church, no matter the size of the church, the time of life they are in, the time that society is in, pandemic, politics, you name it, they have an opportunity to be intentional about their relationships, so do them on purpose. They have an opportunity to be a part of the threefold strand that is not easily broken, right? Now, as I was studying this week, I ran across this quote from this pastor in Florida. His name is Josh Howerton. I know he's a believer. I know he preaches the gospel. Otherwise, I don't know, like, tons about him. I didn't go research his entire life, so if you know, if he said a mean thing one time, I'm really sorry. So don't, like, place everything he's ever done on me. But he said this incredible thing. He must have been talking about much the same thing that we are at his church. Because he said this, uh, sermons create intentions, but relationships determine destinations. Relationships determine destinations. Translated, what we do here on Sundays is important, it matters, but our relationship outside of Sunday mornings, it determines whether we actually go where we're hoping to go. Determines whether or not what God spoke inside of us happens outside of this place. I have three things for you today that we strive to have present uh, in our church. They're things that we'll strive to have present in our community groups, things that we have to be rooted in if we are going to be healthy as the body of Christ. First thing is this, simply we are rooted in Christ together. I'm so excited to talk about, um, starting next week, these different events, different events throughout the life of Jesus because from the beginning of our time here, it's been a thing we said. Really, for all the time I've been in ministry, we never want to do anything that's connected to a church or our ministry, my wife and I, where we don't invite Jesus to be there. There's no reason to do it if we don't invite Jesus to be in the middle of it. I don't care if it's a Sunday service, a Wednesday night Bible study, a barbecue or a potluck, a youth or kids event, a ladies craft night where they make crafts. Don't understand the appeal of that, but whatever. Uh, a men's fishing trip, any of that stuff, right? 
I don't care what it is. Uh, we want to invite Jesus to be in the middle of it. And I believe with all my heart that our mandate as Christians, as believers, is to take Jesus with us wherever we go. If we just come here and leave it here, then we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Whatever, wherever this life takes us, if we're going to live life as believers in Jesus successfully in this world, we must be rooted in Christ, and we also have to do it together. Have to do it together. Something that we always do when we come to church and have a service or Bible study, right? We always invite Jesus to be in the place. But our roots, they begin to grow deep and strong when we purposefully do it in the same way outside of this place. You see, when we invite Jesus into whatever it is we may be doing, there's four things that we always see. There's things, like I said, Chandra and I identified at the beginning of our ministry together a long time ago. And we've kind of put it into words as we've done stuff together over the years. These are things that happen when Jesus is in our midst. Four things right here. Jesus, things that happen when Jesus is in our midst. So when we invite Jesus into what we're doing, miracles happen. This part of what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of months is the miracles of Jesus. Here's some examples of what happens when we invite Jesus to be with us simply when he is in the room. He works miracles in our everyday lives. These often are miracles that we don't see coming, but they change the direction of our life. They change the attitude and the condition of our hearts. You might know the first recorded miracle of Jesus in John chapter 2 was when Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding. For the life of me, I can't figure out why that's the first one they wrote down, but it is. Jesus, of course, he points to salvation with every miraculous occurrence. If you read the story, he's got to point to what he's doing there. And I heard this pastor named Doug Reed say once that Jesus' care for us so much, Jesus cares for us so much that his first miracle on earth was just a big deal for a few people. Really mattered to the people in the room. Right around the same time when the disciples were beginning to be called from the life they had been living to a life of following Jesus around, they go from fishermen to disciples when Jesus miraculously causes them to catch more fish than they can possibly take in. It's in Luke chapter 5 where it says the miraculous catch of fish is probably the, the heading. Luke chapter 5 verse 10 11 says this. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You see, when we invite Jesus into what we're doing, miraculous things happen. Something else that happens when we invite Jesus to be with us is that needs are met, plain and simple. And the awesome, wonderful, amazing part is not only our needs met, but Jesus often uses us to be his instruments here on this earth, to be the hands and feet to meet those needs. One of the most famous miracles in the New Testament, we might talk about it in the next couple of months. I haven't decided if it's one that we're going to do, but is the feeding of the 5,000, right? We've all heard of the feeding of the 5,000, uh, Matthew chapter 14. You might remember some of the details, there actually was more than 5,000 people there because it was 5,000 men, so I wasn't counting women and children. But on this day, right, Jesus and his disciples are approaching dinner time. The disciples are getting hungry. They've been out doing ministry, right? They're getting hungry, and this massive crowd has come to see Jesus, thousands and thousands of people. And the disciples are very concerned about what I probably would have been concerned about is that, and that is, Jesus, when are we going to eat? And they tell Jesus, hey, listen, there's a lot of people out there. We haven't had any dinner yet. I'm going to get hangry, so we probably should send the crowds away, right? <laughs> but you right, remember that the miracle happens when Jesus blesses a boy's lunch, five loaves and two fish. And here is just a glimpse 
of what happens next to the Sea of Galilee on that day. Verse 19 of Matthew 14 says this. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. He didn't just meet the need. The disciples got to be a part of meeting the need. It probably would have been a more flashy miracle if he just made the food appear in the people's laps, right? But the disciples walked around, and they passed it out. And even if you keep reading in that, I love it, they had 12 baskets left over. I think that was probably on purpose. Third thing we see is that when Jesus is with us, healing begins. Jesus is with us, healing begins. There's way too many healings in the New Testament, uh, to list in the time we have today. In fact, the end of, end of uh, the book of John says way more things uh, happened than could be written down about Jesus. But the thing is, friends, and this is the thing we desperately need in this world, is that wherever Jesus is, the despair and the destruction of this world, it turns to healing. It's not you or me or a song we sing. It's, it's Jesus that turns the destruction into healing. The blind are healed. The deaf are able to hear. The demon-possessed are delivered. I love how multiple times during Jesus' public ministry, the evil spirits that are afflicting people, they react suddenly when Jesus nears, right? He doesn't often have to even call them out. He walks into the room, and they're like, whoa, this is not where I want to be. I am leaving. You can see this in Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 12. The paralyzed are restored. Jesus, by his power and might, He solves our earthly problems with supernatural solutions when we invite him into the room. Finally, friends, when we invite Jesus to be with us, salvation is found. Salvation is found. I love the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. When Zacchaeus realizes, if you don't know, Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector. He's essentially been stealing money from the people That's how he makes his income, and he gets way more than he needs to have and steals the money. Tax collectors were people who the the society did not like at all. He was despised. And Zacchaeus, he goes out to find Jesus. Jesus is in a crowd. He climbs the tree because he's short and he can't see over the crowd. I specifically like that part of the story. (laughs) And Zacchaeus realizes who Jesus is. He begins to express to Jesus This desire to repay all that he has taken dishonestly, right? He says, I'll pay back four times what I owe. Jesus says to him in Luke 19, 9, today salvation has come to this house. When Jesus is with us, salvation is found. And when we begin to do life around someone and we invite them into our daily lives and they invite us into ours, we begin to see Jesus in each other. And then salvation comes to the house. And then we're not just like doing a service and then doing another service and then doing a barbecue and then doing a potluck. Then salvation begins to come to the house. And all we need to do is invite Jesus into our midst. All of those things that we just talked about really briefly, they happen here at this church and they happen in many other churches. We prayed this morning with the worship team and our leadership of all the, for all the churches in the valley that are preaching his name today. But when we are a part of a community that invites Jesus in to everything that it does, it begins to make our roots strong. It begins to give us roots like that willow tree that spread across the yard. And our hearts begin to come good soil, begin to become good soil. And when the storms of life come, because they will come, 
we have other believers to call on. We're able to withstand the winter, those long stretches where life seems like it does not make sense because we're not trying to do it alone, right? Sometimes uh, inviting Jesus into our midst is as simple as an opening prayer that we, we do in an event. Sometimes it is more like a conversation you share over dinner, on a car ride, something that has nothing to do with church except you invited Jesus to be there. But remember, we become like the people we spend time with. This great example, uh, my friend, uh, of, of how this all comes together, uh, I have a friend named uh, JL, J and the letter L. Jack Leroy is what it stands for. And he was actually here um, just a month ago, six weeks ago. Big, tall guy, shaved head, uh, four kids, wife was here, Kara. And uh, JL, I, I went to school in Seattle, and he was a teenager in the youth group that I helped in. And our youth pastor there, uh, he started small groups, and JL was in my small group. And, um, you know, he was a typical teenager. He was not a super Christian. His parents were not saved. And uh, he, we got along pretty well, but I was his small group leader. And, man, we just did this small group in my dorm room, rain or shine. We did it. You know, as he went through high school, and then he finished, finished high school, and he was going to college, and I still lived up there. And we spent a bunch of time together. Uh, I mean, I, I could spend the whole day talking about the hijinks that uh, we got in together while I was supposedly supposed to be leading him in a small group, right? I mean, we spent a ton of time together. Um, and, uh, you know, enough time that it's one of those relationships where I don't get to see him that often. He's been kind of all around the country working, and, and we've been here. And so when we were in the same place, we'd get together and have lunch or something. But we don't see him that often. Uh, I don't see him that often. But when we do see him, it's like no time has passed. It's one of those relationships, you know. And it was so awesome seeing him, right? They came into town to see Dude Perfect. They live in Coeur d'Alene, and he drove down to see Dude Perfect at the at Taco Bell Arena. And um, we spent, like, all just about every mealtime together. We went to the zoo. We went to the pool. They came to church with us. We went to lunch after church. And uh, that whole relationship, probably he would tell you a big part of the reason he serves God today, that he's involved in his church, is because of all the time we spent together, going to movies and staying up late playing video games and jumping off cliffs into rivers, all the things that you do when you do life together. You see, when we invite Jesus to be in our midst, he begins to change us all at once when we're rooted in him together. We also see that our faith, it grows strong when we are rooted in worship together. Now, worship is such an important part of what any church does together. I'm talking about the worship where you come and you sing the songs. And when we say that term, worship, right, that's what we think of when we come together and we sing the songs. And when we do this, that's why we, this is why we come and we sing songs. We play instruments, we sing songs together. We're following the example that's all over the Bible. In the Old Testament, if you read through it, the people of God, they seem to always be singing for one reason or another. They were singing before they went into a battle. They were singing after the battle. They were singing in the middle of the battle. Sometimes the singing or the playing was actually the thing that led to the defeat of the other side because God directed them to do it. They would sing in lament when things were not good. They would make loud joyful noises with their voices and their instruments, they would celebrate God's goodness when he made them victorious. It's all over the Old Testament. And so something that's important to us here is that when we worship, uh, we exalt God for who he is and not what he can do for us. What God does for us is incredible. He gives us new life. 
He works miracles on our behalf, but we exalt God because he is our father. We give Jesus praise because he's our savior. We spent a little time uh, talking about this a while back about it's like being in a room. Worship is like being in a room with both windows and a skylight. And we uh, can spend our time looking towards God through the skylight, looking up. Or we can spend it looking at the windows, out the windows at our surroundings, whether the surroundings are good or bad. We can praise God or not praise God because of our surroundings, or we can look through the skylight and praise him regardless. When we worship, we do it in spirit and in truth, right? Just like Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman about in John chapter 4. That's a long passage. We're not going to read the entire thing today. But Jesus tells this uh, Samaritan woman she should worship in spirit and in truth. But it's kind of a, a strange thing. We worship in spirit. That means that God speaks something supernaturally to us as we place our attention and our focus on him. That's what we did today. We placed our attention, our focus on God, and we pray that he spoke something supernaturally to you. That's what we did with Pastor Wendy. She came up to pray over us. Jesus makes us new in this place as we sing songs of surrender. The Holy Spirit, the New Testament says, is our comforter. It's just a little bit, a touch of heaven is in our midst. This is the part that we can't explain, but we know that it happens. This is the part when you say, man, I went to this place and we sang these songs and God spoke to me. And it might sound crazy to you, but that's what happened. We've all experienced that if you know the Lord, I believe. And that is where the truth comes in. When we know that God has spoken, he's moved, a little bit of heaven has invaded our space, we feel like begun to change our hearts, we know that the truth is there because our heart is different than it was before. And we don't only say that it's different. The change of heart that we have when we worship in spirit and truth is evidenced by a change in our actions. Right? We don't walk in and say, well, boy, the Lord has changed me. And then we walk out and do the exact same thing. At least a small change begins to happen. The change of heart is evidenced by a change in our actions, by the fact that we become more like Jesus in tangible ways each day. You don't become perfect, but more like Jesus in tangible ways each day. All of this is summed up really beautifully. Romans uh, 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's an awesome scripture, right? And we read this um, all the time about true and proper worship. But something that's really interesting about that scripture, if we're talking about worship, like we did today, though, uh, it says right there in verse 1, this is your true and proper worship. If you read the rest of it, there's not any mention of singing. Like, this is your true and proper worship, and then they don't go on to talk about what we think is worship. So how does it apply to us then? How does it apply to a community group setting or a Sunday or a Wednesday at our church? Well, I believe what God would say to us and what is meant by when they wrote this down is that doing these things that are contained in Romans 12 too, offering our body as a living sacrifice, doing our best to be holy and pleasing to God, refusing to conform to the patterns of this world, becoming transformed by the renewing of our minds, all four of those things, they all happen before we ever come together and sing. 
to our true and proper worship. And those things, friends, I'm telling you, they happen in powerful ways when we have community outside this building. Or even just over time with each other. It goes back to that quote that I shared earlier, how that a sermon creates intention, a relationship creates destination. Here's what I'm getting at. We may hear God speak clearly in this room. And when God speaks to you in this room, I believe that that has happened. It's not emotion. It's not uh, the lights or the songs. It's God speaking. When we hear God speak clearly in this room, and then you know that you know that a change of heart or a change of action is needed. Whether a change, though, actually happens often depends on whether we have someone to do it with. Whether you feel like you need to make a change in your life and you walk out and you make it often depends on if someone is going to ask you, hey, did you do that thing that God spoke to you? If we have a small group of people that are able to talk honestly about what it means to become these things, become holy and pleasing to God, figure out how to not conform to the patterns of this world, become transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just those, those two sentences together, those are really difficult to do in 2023 in the United States of America with an iPhone or a Samsung Galaxy in your pocket. How to not conform to the pattern of this world, how to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what Romans tells us is that this is true worship. The part I really love, though, uh, is that last line of Romans 12 too. They, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is something, friends, that everyone would say they want. If we took a survey, 100% of people would say, I want to know what God's will is for my life. When you see, friends, preparing our heart and doing it together, that leads to the discovery of God's will. And right here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we have this roadmap of how to do it. We prepare our hearts during the week with a group of people that loves us. Then we come here, and with those same people, and by the way, if you have a group of people that you hang out with outside of this room, then you always have someone to sit with at church. It's awesome. When we do that, God reveals his will to us as we worship in spirit and in truth together. And that, friends, is how we are rooted in worship Together, And that's how we end up with a life that's rooted in the things of God. Finally today, um, getting close to being, uh, being done, we know that we become more like Jesus when we are rooted in service together. One of the things Jesus said in one of the verses that lives really close to my heart, John 13, 35, and this is the NLT version just because I like the way it puts it. Uh, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, as a Christian, and it has nothing to do with being a pastor, working at a church, that simple sentence that Jesus said is so challenging to me. That the way others will know uh, that I know Jesus is through how I love. So when I go and I take care of my family, when I go and I uh, talk to the gas station convenience store worker, when I fill up my, uh, my melty soda, my, wife's call, my wife calls them. By the way, if you get one of those at Jackson's, you get a free Snickers bar for the month of September, in case you need to know. When I take care of my family and I go talk to the gas station worker, there's one named Shay down the street who I actually know from a a long ways ago. I've been inviting to church. Uh, She says she's going to come. When I go play basketball on Tuesdays with the LDS guys out in CUNA, when I preach a sermon or when I run a meeting, 
Whether or not I technically do those things well is not what shows I know Christ. Sometimes I kind of wish it was because then it would be a little easier to define. But shows I know Christ is in his characteristics, right? His love shining through in all of those things that I'm doing. It's not that we don't try and do our best in everything we do because we absolutely do. In fact, God commands us to do just that in his word. But if I technically do a great job, but I forget in the midst of it to love like Jesus loved, then I kind of missed the point. I didn't kind of miss the point. I really missed the point. And there's this part about it that is so easy to say, but it's really not that easy to do. Uh, And the thought is that Jesus has given us grace. He's given me grace that I didn't earn. And for that reason, I should do my best to love others in that same way. I believe that Jesus illustrated this each day while he was on earth with us. And ultimately by giving his life, rising again. But it's shown most clearly, I believe, in the account of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, John chapter 13. We don't have time to read the whole thing today, but just to set it up for you, this is right before Jesus is crucified. He goes to have dinner with his disciples, right, the Last Supper. And he gets up from the table to wash each of their feet. The Bible says he wraps a cloth around his waist, goes around, and he washes each of his disciples' feet. This is something that happened in a house in that time because no one had regular shoes. The roads were all dirt. Their feet were very dirty and gross all the time. So someone had this job whenever you came into a house that was decent is there was a servant that had this job where you would take a towel and a, and a basin of water and you'd go wash the people's feet. It was a job that would not be very nice uh, even now, but it was way worse then. No one wants to touch anybody's feet now, especially my feet because they're in bad shape. But uh, no one would especially would have wanted to do it then. And this is a passage that deserves its own message or many of them. Uh, but I want to note just a couple things this morning. And as we note them, just we must remember what Jesus says after he does this. And that is, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So this is the example Jesus gives us. One of those things, uh, just a couple of small things I want to pull out of that is that Jesus knew what was about to happen. Right, Jesus knew he'd, he'd come into Jerusalem. He knew that uh, they were gonna, he was going to be betrayed. He was going to be crucified. He was going to die. He doesn't necessarily want to do it, right? We see him in the garden and say, God, if there's any other way, I would like to choose that way. But if this is your will, then I'll do it. But Jesus knew it was about to happen. He knew he was going to be betrayed and arrested and killed in a matter of days. And of all the things that Jesus could have chosen to do, we touched on them a little while ago, of all the things he could have chosen to do at that point, he could have gone and fed thousands of people with one boy's lunch again. Maybe he could have done like just the bread and not the fish, make it a little tougher. I don't know. He could have chosen to just go out and heal all the, all the physical needs of the people that seemed to be following him everywhere. He could have gone and found the Pharisees that he knew were deceitful and lying, and he could have revealed it to everyone around them. That probably wasn't in Jesus' heart. That's what I would want to do, probably. <laughs> but instead, what he chose to do is he chose to gather with his friends. And then he chose to serve them in the most submissive way that he could. The other part that really strikes me is who exactly was in that group of people whose feet Jesus washed that night. Because John 13 tells us that all 12 disciples were there. And what that means is that his best friends on earth were with him. The ones that had walked the countryside with him for three and a half years back and forth. 
They were all there, but so would the one who would become his worst enemy. And I hesitated on saying enemy or not, but then I remember Jesus in the New Testament says that we should love our enemies. So he knew what an enemy was. Judas, who would betray him at the end of the night and send him to his death. He was also in the room. You see, for me, I don't know about for you, one of the most difficult things in this world to do is to serve someone when you know there is nothing coming back in return. To do something for someone else, to be kind to someone else when you know there's nothing coming back. And not only that, they just may not be nice to you at all. And we see Jesus do it, though, because it's what he was called to do. It's what God had sent him to this earth to do. Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Man, that situation and that verse there, that actually informs many of the things that we try to do at this church. It's why at Thanksgiving time we give to the rescue mission. We pile stuff out there in the foyer. It's why around Mother's Day we give money to stand health care to help single mothers, mothers in need. It's why we help those in need in and around our church that we know about. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to put it all together as we get ready to close, uh, here, here's how it looks as we grow deep roots together and we serve together. There's three simple ways that we serve. One of them is we serve within our groups. We serve within our community groups. When you are meeting on a regular basis, friends, you're going to know the small ways that you can wash each other's feet. Hopefully not in real life, but maybe if God calls you to, Sure. You're going to know the small ways uh, you can wash each other's feet that others will not know. You know, I just thought of this. A really good example is uh, uh, there's four, five, six of us that meet Tuesday mornings at IHOP for uh, men's breakfast. You are all invited to that, by the way, 7 a.m. on Federal Way. But there's things that those of us that go to that thing each week, we know about each other's lives, what each other are dealing with, because we go and we hang out there every week. We just do. Right? We know how to serve each other. We know what to check in on them with. We know what to pray with them about because we meet together. You're going to know the small ways that you can wash each other's feet. Others may not know the ride to the doctor or the help changing a tire, the watching the kids for a couple hours or the late phone call after a tough day, whatever it may be. And to be clear, these are things that our church as a whole does already. But we like the leadership of the church, we can't uh, know every single need. Even if we did, it would be difficult, if not impossible, to accomplish them all. And that's why we need all, everyone here to be this extension of God's grace that's evident in this place. If someone needs something from me or from our staff as a whole, of course, we're glad to be there uh, any way we can. But within our groups, we serve each other. Number two is we serve our community. We serve within our community. What if, I'm just posing to you a what if, what if when we give to the rescue mission at Thanksgiving, there's a small group from our church that uh, has already made a commitment to collect extra supplies or go down there and do a service for them. And we bless them more than we already do. What if when we give to Stan Healthcare here on Mother's Day each year, a small group of people set this lofty goal of baby bottles to fill or they just collect extra supplies and they take them down there and the reason that comes to mind the first time we did this a couple years ago we had this double stroller that had been 
uh, hanging out in our house. It was too big for our boys. And uh, when I took the, the money over there we had collected, or the formula we collected, I took the stroller over there as well. They were just over the moon about the stroller and thinking, oh, man, I know someone I can give this to. What if a community group from our church found a way to purposely love and serve the neighborhood around where they meet? We serve within our community. Finally, friends, we serve within our church. I believe, I said this my first Sunday here, I'll keep saying it, I believe the local church is the great hope of the world for knowing Christ. The local church matters, it's important. What if we had a community group who decided they were going to make sure like a kid's class was staffed for half the month? They're like, you know what, our group should make sure this preschool class has people for twice a month. What if we had a community group who made it a goal to visit those who would love to come to church but they can't for some reason? See, friends, there's something that's really powerful that happens when we are rooted together in how we serve. You don't just keep each other accountable. You don't just pray for each other, but then you go out and you do something together. You see, we become unified when we decide to serve someone else's needs. We become unified when we follow that example of Jesus that he gives us in John chapter 13. This is just simply, friends, that's how we grow strong roots. We invite Jesus into everything we do. We do it together. We worship in spirit and in truth, and we do it together. We serve as Jesus served, and we do it together. And when we do this, our root system becomes strong. What others may see is this group of people that love being together, and they spur each other along in faith. And, man, they sing loud when they come together and they sing songs. But what they don't see are the deep roots that are growing underneath. You don't see the part that's making it possible. And here is how we continue to put it into action in our church. We need some of you, if you want to, to be willing to host or facilitate one of these groups. Um, uh, There's flexibility in when or how they meet. Uh, We're not going to ask you to commit until the end of time if you decide you want to help with something like this. But if you're interested, I'd love to talk to you about it. There's a, a, a sheet in the back you can write your name down on. But doing life in this way together outside this place, it's the path forward to a healthy church, no matter the situation, circumstance that our world or our culture finds itself in. This is how we go from hearing a message to taking action day by day. It's how we go from it happening here to happen other places. Um, I'd encourage you to think and pray about it. Come see me uh, or get a hold of me uh, if you're interested in that. One thing I want you to know if you're here today, Like we were singing before, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Even if that means to be close. And would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're almost done today. Uh, God wants you to know this morning, friends, as we get ready to go from this place. uh, I I want you to know that Jesus is real. Um, We invite him into our heart. He lives inside of us. He restores and renews. What you need to know is that God made all of us to be a son or daughter of his. Our sin separates us from God, but it doesn't have to separate us from God. We can't be good enough to remove any of that on our own, but there is one who is good enough to remove it, and his name is Jesus. He's the one who paid the price for our sin by dying and rising again. Every one of us in this place, friends, whether... Uh, You have done this before or you never have. You can begin life with Jesus in your heart today. And it can last from now until forever, until the end of the time. You can do that today just by surrendering your life to him. I want to give you a chance to do that. If you're here this morning, 
And then you're thinking, man, I want to be a son or daughter of God. I was before, and I know I'm not now, or I've never heard of this, and I want to be. Would you just raise your hand across this place? I want to give you a chance so uh, we can make sure and pray with you. Thank you for praying, for being sensitive to the Lord. I don't see any hands. Um, but I want you to know this as we pray here in a moment uh, over our church and over your day. Uh, if you just whisper a prayer asking, saying, Jesus, please come into my heart. Please take over my life. Um, whisper that prayer and he will begin to come in and make you new. Lord, thank you for Engage Boise. Thank you for your church. Thank you you've made us for a time such as this. Thank you that you know us inside and out. Thank you that you know what each one of us needs. And uh, I just pray that you would spur inside of us uh, a desire even more than we ever have, Lord, to invite you into everything we do, to worship you in spirit and in truth, to serve each other, serve our community, serve our church. And, Lord, do those uh, because it's what you ask us to do. I pray that our roots would continue to grow deep in this place, but as we go from here and as we are intentional about relationship, I pray they would grow deep outside this place as well. And that our hearts, our lives would be good soil, uh, Jesus, and you would find uh, your way inside of us. I pray for those that are in this place that um, they're uh, thinking about maybe starting one of these groups or hosting one at their home. I just pray that you would speak to them and help them to know uh, whether they should or shouldn't. Uh, Lord, those that maybe never would have thought in a thousand years that they would do something like this. Um, I pray that you would just spur it inside of their hearts in this moment. Lord, we trust you uh, with everything in our church. We trust you with uh, what you have for us, and we hand it all to you. And thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you, Jesus, you've forgiven us. Uh, I ask that you would go with every single person in this place in your grace and your mercy. We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. 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 Two things I want to remind you about, friends. If uh, you want to talk to me about helping with a group, come find me or sign up in the back. Also, water baptism in two weeks. If God's been doing something in your life, and you want to. Uh, celebrate my water baptism. Don't forget to uh, hit our website or uh, sign up in the back. Thank you for coming to church. If I have not met you yet and you're brand new, I'd love to shake your hand out there in the lobby. Thank you for coming to church. Wednesday night, 7 p.m. We've got stuff for all ages. And uh, if I don't talk to you before that, I will see you all then. Thanks for coming to church this morning. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.